Welcome to Women and Manufacturing, where accomplished women interview accomplished women, with your host, Jennifer McNelly. Welcome to Women and Manufacturing Radio. I'm Jennifer McNelly, President of 180 Skills and host for today's show. Women represent a vast talent pool and are one of the underrepresented populations within manufacturing. Where, in fact, there's a shortage, there's an opportunity. And today's discussion will be about the opportunity and leadership of women in the manufacturing industry. I'm honored today to be joined by Stacey Delvecchio, Additive Manufacturing Product Manager at Caterpillar. For today's conversation, please make sure you follow us on Twitter at hashtag WomenAndMFG. Stacey, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule today. Sure, it's a pleasure to join you. And, you know, I'm really excited about the fact that your title, Additive Manufacturing Product Manager at Caterpillar, brings a truly unique perspective, you know, from all the research that I helped lead when I was at the Manufacturing Institute. We often talked about sort of disruptive technologies, and you get to live that every single day. So I'm excited to hear, hear how you ended up in your role, what drove you to the leadership position you're in today, and what advice you have for others. So maybe to kick us off today, let's talk about the early years of your career. Did you have a teacher or a family member, somebody that truly impacted your journey into manufacturing? I did, Jennifer. I have to admit that I was blessed with the environment I grew up in. I had a um, both of my parents really encouraged that I could do anything, and I also had a couple of teachers that were really influential for me. So one in particular, uh, his name is Mr. Buddy, and I was lucky enough to have him for a couple of different years for math, and he just really made me feel like I belonged. I particularly remember in my senior year of high school where it would have been calculus or more advanced math class, and you hear all the statistics about how women start to opt out of math uh, later on in their um, education years. So it wasn't like there was a lot of girls in the class, but I didn't even notice it because he made me feel, feel like felt like he made me really feel like I belonged in that class. He called on me. He expected the same of me as he did of others. And it was a great start to what would end up being my professional career as an engineer, that that's, that's the way it should be. You should be included. You should be expected to contribute and uh, be part of the overall group. So I didn't know that that was so odd until it was later on in my, uh, you know, as time went on. But, boy, it was a great start to, to know that that's what I wanted. That's awesome, and his name was Mr. Buddy. Yeah, that's Did you ever the best get a chance part. to? Yeah, mine personally was Mr. Hard, and it was in the <laughs> fifth and sixth grade. <laughs> I think oh. Mr. Buddy's names rank right up there with Mr. Hard. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's great how teachers have that ability to inspire, and your comment of you should be expected to step up and contribute. You know, why right. not? Yes. That's great. That's great. So tell me a little bit about your journey into manufacturing. You know, how did you end up in manufacturing? I mentioned earlier that I am an engineer. So my degree is actually in engineering. And I I was attracted to engineering primarily because of my love of math and science. So very like, you know, kind of I didn't know what else to major in. And that was uh, a good place to start. I ended up really liking the 
hands-on aspect of it. I, I didn't want to do something to research that was in the lab. I wanted to actually see something being made. And actually, I had, uh, I had co-opt. I went to the University of Cincinnati where you need to co-op. And my first job was in research. And I was like, oh, I don't really like that. And so then I got more into some of the design on um, design, you know, with paper and just on a computer screen. And that was better, but still maybe not really what I wanted. And so I ended up uh, looking for another job at that time. And uh, in my interviewing of different jobs, I really stressed that I wanted to to have some hands-on aspect of what I was doing to not only help me learn, but also to see the result of what I was doing, which led me to Caterpillar, but also really pulls in that manufacturing side of it because if you want to see what you're going to make, that means you're making something, and um, that's manufacturing. That's great. Well, and I I respect the fact that you understood it wasn't just theory because you hear that a lot about students coming out of engineering programs today, that they're great at the book smarts but miss the hands-on smarts, and it sounds like you headed straight that direction. So. Yeah. All the and maybe, companies you could join. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, and maybe not straight because I did have some other uh, tests of different companies in between there. And I will have to uh, let you know that the other reason for coming and specifically interviewing with Caterpillar was that my boyfriend at the time was working here. Now, I mm-hmm. like to share that because I think that as a a professional woman, there's kind of this persona of, I can't have a personal life. I'm not going to make a career choice based on my boyfriend. And um, to know that I literally followed my boyfriend to Caterpillar um, and have had this incredibly rewarding career is something that I want people to know because there is this balance between, you know, you've got a life besides just this profession that you pursue. Am I allowed to ask what happened to the boyfriend? Okay, so <laughs> you got the a boyfriend, great career. <laughs> so the boyfriend became my husband, and we've been married for 27 years. So it's all good. <laughs> oh, it's all good. It's See, all good. Build, building the next generation of you know manufacturing leaders. I think that's fantastic. And <laughs> smart companies make sure that that families are both happy and successful. So were there other aspects that led you to Caterpillar? Or just following, and were you located somewhere else? So I was actually, yes, I was in Ohio, and now I'm in Illinois. So the thing was to get to Illinois. Um, I would tell you, if you're coming to, I live in Peoria, Illinois, and in Peoria, Illinois, the place to work is Caterpillar. So that's a pretty um, dominant uh, and desirable place to work if you're coming to Peoria, Illinois. But I was prepared to follow my boyfriend and say, oh, I'm going to maybe not be as happy with my choice of a job. And the minute I came out of that interview, I was just incredibly pumped up. I I saw what they did with chemical engineers. I have a chemical engineering degree and just talking to the people I was going to be working with. And it was just, I was like ready to go. I was like, oh, I hope we get this job because it was just everything I wanted in addition to following my boyfriend. You got you got the best of both worlds in that. I did. You know, one of the things I like to always understand around women leaders in manufacturing, I often speak to the shoulders of greatness that we stand on and what inspired them. And a big piece of that comes from the responsibility of role models and how how women in industry today think about paying it forward. So 
tell me a little bit about what you do to help inspire and engage the next generation of leaders and others, even those in the company today. I feel very passionately about paying it forward and making sure that people understand what manufacturing is and what engineering is. Um, I often think that when we talk about trying to get little kids interested in engineering or manufacturing, we will typically, I'll talk engineering because I'm an engineer, we typically will send an engineer to talk to students. And sometimes engineers will really belabor the point about the schooling that's required to get a degree in engineering. And um, it's the having a job that relates to engineering or manufacturing is about so much more than the four years you spend in school. You're talking about a lifetime of learning or making things or, or making things better. And so it's not just about that four years or five years in school. And sometimes engineers will just go on and on about the, the schooling aspect of it. So I really like to be sure that the kids understand the potential of engineering, the potential of um, you know, making the world a better, better place or something like that, that if there's a problem, we can fix it. And, you know, that it's just not about those four years in school. The four years in school enable you to have decades of some rewarding work. And I, I, I had heard uh, there's, there's several different uh, types of programs that kids can go to, and there's one for fifth graders in particular where, like, each room they have a different classroom of a different profession. So they may have uh, a doctor or a dentist and then an engineer and a teacher and a vet. And I had heard somebody say once that they went into the room where the engineer was talking and they were saying, like, oh, it's really hard and study hard, but you'll make good money. And then they went into the room where the vet was talking, and the vet said, we save kittens. And I'll tell you, veterinary school is really, really hard, too, but you never hear anybody talk about how hard it is to be a vet. They always talk about the good they do. And I feel passionately that we need to change that conversation and talk about the good that we do as engineers and making things, because that's where it's at. It's not about that small snapshot in time when you're going to school. Yeah, that's – um. That's a good point, especially with um, future generations that want true purpose, if you want to yes. say that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I yes. never really I have, thought about that. Oh, and I, and I think, you know, about true purpose and a lot of kids may be thinking medicine or something like that, but I often go to the whole issue of water, and there's so many kids that die of waterborne it, illnesses in the world so fortunately not that many in the United States but if you look worldwide and it just is such a shame because as engineers we know how to make clean water and yeah. so if you want to really make a difference in the world go out and make sure that people have clean water there's still unfortunately a huge need for something as basic as that yeah I I often think about you know with and, and the huge perception that manufacturing as an industry suffers from in general, let alone get into a school's hard, engineering's hard. Like, right. Yes, it, yes, and exactly. I, and yet it's life-saving medicines, and it's building our nation's infrastructure, and it's feeding the world, and you could go on and on. You know, I've often said that our world's global challenges and grand challenges are ultimately manufacturing and engineering challenges. Yes, I agree. You know, so I back agree. to that clean water, clean water example, and 
making the world a better place. So I know within your career you also have been very active with the Society of Women Engineers, correct? Correct. Um, and speaking to young kids is one thing. Tell me how that looks when you're speaking to college students or early career women, um, because I think that gets to something that I'd be quite curious about is why you've stayed with Caterpillar in the longevity of your career. So I'm curious in that space how you interact and encourage others to consider alternatives, to take risk, whatever it may be. So talk to me a little bit about your leadership as it relates to the incumbent workforce in general, and then how did that play out in your own career staying at Caterpillar? I think when I look at the incumbent workforce, I want to make sure that people are getting the development they need. So I talked about the schooling, whatever the schooling may be to get you to an engineering job or a manufacturing job. But then once you're in that job, I think it's really important to stay fresh with your skills and your talents and how you interact with people. And that changes throughout your course of your career. So if somebody that's just starting out and they are a woman and they are at a company where they are a minority, which in a technical role, unfortunately, is still the case in, in a lot of areas, um, they may automatically think that the environment or something they're feeling is because they're a woman. And I really counsel them to step back and look at the situation. It might not automatically be because you're a woman. It might be because you don't know the product yet and you still have a learning curve. Or it might be um, you know, that you don't have the right sort of background or you don't have you haven't supervised people yet or there's this whole range of things that it can be when you feel like as if you don't belong so stop to to sit back and think why maybe you feel like you don't belong and then you know it's, maybe that's not the case and and to give it a shot and continue to grow yourself and ask for help and to look for peers that you can rely on and to look for advocates and to ask for advice and, and, you know, to help you through that journey. Um, when I look at my own journey, um, I, I, I've been at Caterpillar now 29 years, which sounds like forever, and I guess it is forever to some people that are probably listening to this. But um, I've stayed because I, I did stick it out. So there have been times when maybe I felt like I didn't fit in as much, but I went and I had things like the Society of Women Engineers that I could pull on to find people to to listen to me or give me some advice. And um, so that was part of it, so that I felt like I did belong. And then the, the other – so that helped me feel like I belong, and then I stayed. And then the other part of why I stay both at Caterpillar and in this whole area of be it engineering slash manufacturing is because I've had the chance to do some really neat things in the past 29 years. And I'm not sure I would have had that opportunity in another profession or another company. So the, the wide range of things I've had to do, the amount of uh, different parts of the world I've seen and different aspects of my career that I could dig into have, have really astounded me and, and something that I really had not expected when I started on this journey. Well, and I would think the fact that you're in the additive manufacturing product space is unchartered territory. Yes. Yeah, you know, that's – are you making the destiny? Uh, am, I, am I making the destiny? Yeah, it's, you're like – you're in a field or even a job classification that I would argue 
from a skills perspective, is this emerging space within the industry? What's it going to look like? How's it going to be yes. used? How are we going to get beyond prototyping? You're kind of charting your journey. Yes. Is that fair? So, yes, very much so. So I've been in this job for three years now. And I actually had the chance, it was a brand new area, like you're saying, and I had the chance to choose my title because it was all new. I intentionally chose additive manufacturing to make sure that people saw what we're doing as manufacturing and not um, just some sort of prototyping. So additive manufacturing and 3D printing are basically the same thing, but by choosing additive manufacturing as my title, it really hones in on the fact that this is manufacturing. This is a technology that we can use to make parts that are good to go on, I'll say go on tractor is you know just a very general term, but it's not just about making a plaque for somebody's wall or a little model of something. It go, it's so much deeper than that. And it's been really exciting to be on the forefront of that and work to get it deployed within Caterpillar. Yeah, I I think that's super cool because, again, you're kind of creating what will be that journey for the company with your colleagues and how you respond and where that takes you. And, you know, disruptive technologies change manufacturing processes every single day. And to be one of the engineers sitting at the table saying, hey, let's rethink some of these I think that's pretty cool. Right. And and even to take it to the point where kids may see 3D printers in their school and for them to know that this does go beyond that. This goes to the point where we're using the technology on a industrial scale, meaning uh, as far as what the application is, and that it, that is manufacturing. That is high-tech manufacturing of the future is to do something as uh, – emerging as additive manufacturing and that's that's your manufacturing piece of it yeah that's great so along those lines um what would you consider one of your greatest professional achievements when i look back over the course of my career there's two and one of them you talked about my involvement in the society of women engineers and one of them was being the president of that society that was a very uh it was a Great professional achievement, very rewarding. But when I look at the technical aspect of what I have done at uh, Caterpillar, I actually had a chance to be on a startup team for a facility that we put in in China to make undercarriage. And I was on the startup team, and I got to do the design and build of the wastewater treatment plant and the paint line. And it was it was incredibly challenging because I am in central Illinois and had never been to China before. So there was that whole cultural challenge of it, as well as I was, um, you know, maybe 12, 13 years of my career. So I wasn't right out of school, but still I had never designed a paint line or a wastewater treatment plant. So there was that aspect of, wow, this is my job now. I have to pull together the resources in order to do that. So it wasn't just me. I pulled together a team to do it. But the fact that I was empowered by my employer to do that, I still think was a wonderful experience. And then to know that it actually went on, you know, we started the facility up and it's still running today. So it gives that longevity of something that I did a lot of years ago that was so challenging for me personally and professionally and is is still seen as a success. Did you seek that opportunity out or were you approached? I'm just curious in that. So I often I actually, hear. Yeah, I did not seek it out. Yeah. Yes. I, I, 
I did not seek it out. I actually had one of my employees was working on the project, and he resigned from the company. And it made the most sense for me to do the job at the time that he had left the company. So I, I you're right, we hear that where the data now show, you know, now I know the data that says the, the women will sit back and not seek it out. And I don't know, on hindsight, if I would have uh, stepped up and do it or not, but I did get the opportunity without having done that. Well, that's a big, you took on a big risk and a big accountability. And either way, regardless of how you got in the room, you did. So, and it yeah. still runs today, right? Yes, it does. Yes, and it's expanded, and it's a big success for us. So it makes me proud. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, in terms of challenges, so I often, you know, the cliche of we grow more by our failures than we do our successes. What challenges have you faced within your career, and how did you overcome them, or what did you learn from them? I've had a couple. I think some of them have been – one of the ones I, I do feel right now – I'm in an emerging technology, which is good, and trying to get that message out on the capabilities that this new technology has to a company the size of Caterpillar with the number of engineers we have is a real challenge. And it's not, um, it's just how do you get to everybody to let them know the real state of additive manufacturing? And it's not just the state as we sit here in January 2018, but by June there's going to be more capabilities. And trying to keep all that fresh and updated with everybody is a big challenge. And, um, yeah, making sure that people have realistic expectations and not, oh, there's there's all kinds of information on the Internet about 3D printing. And so helping people understand what is fact versus what is realistic and we have validated it and we're proving it today is probably one of my bigger challenges. And and it's just because of the volume of people we have. It's not that uh, people aren't listening. It's just there's a lot of people. Yeah, are most of your customers that you serve or stakeholders internal to CAT, you're driving the adoption, understanding, and utilization within the company, or does it have customer-based impact as well? It's internal. It's internal. Internal. My yeah. main customer are the product groups. So the, the okay. product groups will – so the person that owns the engine or the person that owns the tractor. And so they have the responsibility of what goes on their product and so they are the groups that I'm working with and yeah. with this whole challenge of all these uh, engineers. Well, and it would seem there's an education and then there's an adoption or utilization function with that. You got both sides of that. Is that yes, yes. A correct interpretation, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's again, I'll come back to you. You're charting new territory. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that makes it really interesting. So one of the things, and you've said a couple different things on today's call today, um, back in the hindsight, is 2020. You know, what advice would you give your younger self today if you were starting out your career? I really wish I'd been a little bit more adventuresome. I had gone to a school that required co-oping, so that was good because during my college years I was required to go co-op, and that was very good. I was really, really focused on trying to get a co-op job back in my hometown so that I could live at home and save money. I was 
I was really focused on saving money so I could pay for college, which is a good thing, but it really limited what I was trying to do. Now, I did not get a job back home, so I did end up going other places. And had I known that, I it would have. I wish I would have opened up the boundaries of what I looked at uh, more so during those co-op years. Because when you co-op someplace, you're there for three months, and you can – pretty much go anywhere. You can put up with anything for three months. And had I told my younger self that you can put up with anything for three months, I think I would have had a lot more options and would have uh, really seen some interesting things during those co-op years. How did that influence how you managed your career later? Later on, well, even in early in my career, I still think it was fairly conservative because my first company I went to, I was just maybe 100 miles from where my family was and wasn't something I particularly liked. And then I followed my boyfriend. So once again, it wasn't like as if it was this big, like, oh, let's go anywhere in the world. So the initial years of my career were still very safe, I would say. And um, if I had opened up those options to myself earlier on, I think – Who knows what I would be doing? I'm super happy with what I ended up with, but uh, you never know had I explored more. Well, and that being able to take risk or understand your boundaries, and I I find that the place of home, however that's defined, interesting because, you know, we talk about being a mobile society when in the end we're really not. (laughs) You know, home is a good place. And and being comfortable and and strong enough in self to be willing, even if you have an anchor somewhere, a family member, a boyfriend, whatever it may be, to to pack up your bags and go, having just done that about a year ago myself. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's incredibly scary, and if you don't take that risk on yourself, I don't think anybody's ever going to take it on you, you know, right. you that sort of self-initiated risk-taking. So I always like to, um, when I have people on the line and we have listeners that are out there paying attention to the conversation, first off, thank you for sharing your story. Um, Sure. As we close out today's discussion, is there a challenge or a takeaway that you would ask of our listeners today? I think the big part is to explore So regardless if it's somebody who's 10 years old, 18 years old, 25 years old, explore the different options. Something like engineering or manufacturing covers so much ground, it's really hard for somebody to sit there, no matter really where they are in their life, and know what that means. And chances are, wherever you try exploring, it's probably going to look a little bit different than what you think. I know one year when my parents, we were driving to Disney World, um, or Disneyland down in Florida, and we drove past a lawnmower factory, and my dad happened to sell lawnmowers, so we stopped and we got a tour of the lawnmower factory. And to this day, I remember it was clean, it was neat, the little lawnmower housings were like on this little line and going around. And I think if you stop and you ask, hey, can I see what you're doing? People a lot of times will share what they're doing and so just just be curious about what's out there and you will get a different perspective on whatever it is you're asking about so in the world of manufacturing day man that is sound and solid advice whether you have a planned visit or not if you walk by and you're curious stop and ask that's fabulous 
Thank you, Stacy, so much for spending time with us today. To our listeners out there, please stay tuned for Women and Manufacturing Radio. And follow us on Twitter on hashtag WomenAndMFG. Thanks again, Stacy. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Women and Manufacturing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>